So hello, hello, and welcome to my tennis journey. Now, as you're listening today, it'd be amazing if you could hit subscribe or follow. It's free to do, you know, it'll only take a minute. If you haven't yet had a chance, do go ahead and do that. Now, today's guest has already had a really exciting tennis journey with some fantastic recent chapters and no doubt some equally exciting chapters to come. Although he's a strong player in his own right, he's been making his name as a coach. He's a Grand Slam winning coach, a coach to one of the best doubles partnerships on the planet, Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury. Welcome to the show, Rob Morgan. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's absolute pleasure. I'm very much looking forward to hearing about, you know, your life on tour as a coach. But, but to start with, Rob, I'd love to hear about your tennis journey. How did it all begin? So originally from the south of England, from Hertfordshire, um, and ended up moving up north, which we'll get on to. Um, but I'm, I'm one of five, four boys, one girl. And uh, myself and my eldest brothers used to play football originally. And um, my sister did her thing and my younger brother was pretty young. We were playing football at the time. And my parents thought, oh, what can we do as a family? So we went down to the local tennis club, and which was very convenient. It was only up the road. My auntie, my uncle went there. My cousins were there. So socially, it was quite a, an easy thing. And we all, we all loved it. So that's where we all started playing tennis, picked up, a, picked up one of the mini rackets and a sponge ball and, yeah, that was the that was the start of my tennis journey. Come on, and now, so you were born in Hertfordshire. Yeah, you moved to Lancashire. Do you yeah. see yourself as a southerner or a northerner? <laughs> um, I haven't lost my accent, so I would say I am a southerner. But I've lived up north for the vast majority of my life, so I class myself as a northerner, I guess. Come on, you know. So I was <laughs> born in Kent, and uh, and I moved away when I was six months old to Cumbria right. so I see myself like I can't see myself as a northerner completely though because the fact is I was born in Kent <laughs> but mate I would love to be a northerner I certainly uh, I adopted the northern accent very quickly so what age what, what age were you when you went to, to to Lancashire so I started taking tennis relatively seriously at the age of like 10 so uh we left the outdoor tennis club in Welling, which was where we first started, around about nine or ten years old, I think I was. And then uh, we went to an indoor tennis centre just up the road, Gosling Tennis Centre. And then um, I was there for a couple of years. And at that time, myself and my my brother and uh, well, no, we, we were loving the sport. Like, we enjoyed competing. We enjoyed playing. We enjoyed the social side of it. And uh, we basically saw, do you remember the old Ace tennis magazine that used to get sent through the post? I do. Yeah, so we used to get that through and there was an advert in the back of that advertising for uh, tennis scholarships in, at Bolton Arena. Wow. And um, my parents said, oh, do, do you want to go and have a look? Like, should we, you know, just go and check it out? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So we went up, drove three and a half, four hours, however long it was, um, and we were there for a couple of days. We met the coach. We saw the tennis centre where it was. And uh, I checked out the school that was attached to the tennis centre as the academy. And um, at this time, obviously very young still, in my mind, I wanted to be, you know, Tim Hemman, Andre Agassi, Pete Sampras, the guys that I was seeing at the time, which... I was lucky enough to watch live when I was younger. Um, and I was like, well, this is, this is great. I didn't, I didn't really see past the tennis side of things and past the fact that, you know, I, it was going to be like a, a little adventure, I guess, for me as a, as a youngster to, to go and pursue my tennis career so early. I saw it as this is it. And, um, I remember going to Pizza Hut at the end of the second day after visiting the school with my parents and they said to me, so, so what do you think? Like, like, whatever you want to do, if you feel like you want to, to move here. Because at the time, there wasn't really an awful lot going on down south where I was, at the, at the place where I was. And um, they just said, look, we'll support anything that you want to do. You know, if you want, if you want to come, then, you know, let, we, we can make it happen. And I just said, yeah, 
I'd love to do it. And then a couple of months later, uh, I left home. My parents stayed down south and I lived with a host family five nights a week in Bolton um, for about four or five months. Um, what, what, and just what, and what age were you at that point, Ross? Twelve. Twelve years old. I mean, that's so, a big move, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was big. But, I mean, so the process was my parents would drive me up north on the Sunday. I'd say Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. And then Friday, I'd either go to a tennis tournament at the weekend, wherever it was, or I'd go back down south yeah. home for a couple of nights. And then I'd come back up on the Sunday or from wherever I was playing a tournament over the weekend. So my parents would be lugging me around all over the show. Yeah. And um, my younger brother moved up as well. George is a great player. Huh? Yeah, George. Yeah, I think most people know George. Um and yeah, he moved up and then my parents decided that they were going to move up as well. So eventually they sold the house, you know, dad sold his business down there and kind of everyone's relocated up and my other siblings followed thereafter. Um, and that was kind of like the, the big first step for me in terms of, you know, taking tennis seriously and seeing myself in it for, for life. And what a big first step. I mean, when you look back now, Rob, and you, you know, you've got tremendous experiences we'll come on to, but there's an, say there's an 11, you know, my son's 11. He's just won the Derbyshire championships under 11s. Would you recommend such a move based on your experience of going so far from home at that early age? Well, I think it's totally dependent on the individual. It's definitely not one size fits all. That's for sure. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. At the time, it it raised a number of challenges for me. Um, first of all, moving that far north, being away from my parents and my my friends was was extremely difficult. Even though I was so excited to go and play tennis and you know meet new friends at school, etc. Um, the you know starting a new school with a completely different accent in a completely different part of the country uh was was difficult as well i mean most people up north thought i was australian when i first went to school they were like, <laughs> are you from australia i was like no i'm from north london and, and uh so that 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 was challenging the whole school thing was challenging but i look back at it now and i, I i'm so pleased i made that step because there's so many big character building you know opportunities for me there which i took in my stride every single one i mean i mean that i the first obviously i was staying with the host parents for like three uh, four five months and they also housed two bolton wanderers reserve players there who were around about the ages of between 18 20 ish and uh their room was next to my room well one of their rooms was next to my room and obviously i was young just 12 so i was year eight at school and um 10 o'clock at night, the music would come on from the next doors, the, the bedroom with the music. I mean, I'm not talking like mega loud, but pretty loud. Yeah. And, you know, I next morning I was up at 6, 6.15, whatever, to, to have breakfast, get ready, go to school, go to tennis, whichever was first. So I remember having to, you know, in my pyjamas, plucking up the courage to go, I've never actually met these footballers before. <laughs> like the only time I, I ever saw them was at night when I was knocking on the door. So the music was on and I went and knocked on the door and I was absolutely khaki in my pants on what I was going to say to this to this lad. Um, and I just remember him opening the door. I said, excuse me, can you just turn the music down a little bit, please? And he was like, yeah, absolutely, pal. No worries, lad. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that, and, and, you know, doing small things like that when I was totally by myself, Wow. Was a big thing. And, and, you know, I look back on that sort of thing and, you know, I, I'm, I'm very pleased that I had that experience and I'm thankful that my parents, you know, were, were also strong enough to be able to allow me to make that move. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely helped me build 
character to work who, who I am today for sure. They talk, don't they? You know, Keith Reynolds, who we had on the podcast, talks about the life lessons you get through your tennis journey. And boy, yeah. oh boy, knocking on the door of an 18 year old, banging some tunes out. Bravery card. <laughs> Brilliant. What, it, was it Oasis? Was it dance music? What sort of thing were they? I can't remember, but it was annoying. That's all I remember. So. <laughs> hey, well, brilliant. And so at that point, you know, you're dedicating yourself to, to tennis, really. You, mm. you, you're playing tournaments. Did did you enjoy the whole experience? Was Were you still, you know, I'm guessing for some who go away and make that sort of sacrifice, they may, you know, overdose a little bit on tennis, but you were still enjoying all elements of it, even though it was so full on? Yeah, I mean, sometimes the tennis got... Uh, diluted in terms of how much I enjoyed it because it was other other challenges that I had to deal with like being homesick that was that was one thing it wasn't like I was so pumped to leave home you know that was still that was that was a big thing um you know like making friends at school like that was a genuine challenge especially when you know you're having to explain to the kids like you're leaving a class midway through to go and play tennis or you weren't doing certain subjects like physical PE, for instance, or art, you know, I was sub substitute those classes to go and play tennis. And, you know, the kids didn't quite get that. And that made me stand out to, to, to an extent. And, you know, it was for them, sport and especially tennis was something that you played in PE occasionally, or you do it at the weekends recreationally. And, you know, you do it at you might do it at lunchtime if you're not playing footy for the tennis lesson, if there's tennis rackets and balls knocking around. Um, so that the first part of me moving north, especially being alone, was extremely difficult. Um, but I still loved the competition side. So if I was going to play a competition, I'd love that. Even if at that time, that short period of time where I found the whole thing quite tough, I knew that it was right because I was improving as a as a tennis player, my results were getting better at, you know, at tennis tournaments. And if I wasn't winning, I felt better on the court. Um, and I really felt like I was maturing as, as a person. So in that sense, I, I guess I could see even at a young age, the bigger picture of what I was aiming for. And, and credit to my parents, actually, they were extremely supportive of how, you know, that the, the, the journey might pose these challenges and, you know, what, to kind of plan to, to, to be focused on like improving as a person in the long term rather than the now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so at this point you've, you've got this Australian accent that people are picking <laughs> up on. Um, but did you start to play for Lancashire at that point because of the fact you're living in Lancashire? So you're qualified to play for Lancashire? Yeah. So I had to be there for six months before I could uh, officially play for Lancashire. And as soon as I was, um I went and played the Lancashire champ straight away the first year was I would it would have been the under 14s that I played because I was yeah too old for under 12s at the time and I won it and I remember everyone hated me because this new kid <laughs> came from the south was with an Australian accent basically and, <laughs> you know that that yeah I won the singles and the doubles that year um and actually did, I think, a few years in a row. So I wasn't really a, a massive fan of the, of the lads that were there at the time. <laughs> but did you, I mean, did you end up, I guess some of these guys still, you might still know Yeah, there's a couple that I can, you know, think of hand that I still speak to and they still live relatively local to where I am now. So, yeah. Cool, man. And did, did, as you went through, how did... Playing for Lancashire, did you? Did you presumably you then played on junior county cups and things like that? Did you? Yeah. So my first junior county cup was under thirteen county cup. I remember that, and it was the University of Bath, which is actually where I ended up working for a short period of time. Well, for about four years, uh, not so long ago. Um, yeah, played played all the county cups, uh, and then I felt like the county cups really started to get. It, like really fun when you played under 18s because yeah. that's when it was a little bit more acceptable to get completely rowdy at the court side with the team and <laughs> you know re really get involved in that and yeah that was that was pretty cool you know I think it's a massive part of it isn't it like I'm the uh, Derbyshire under 10s captain 
And uh, when we went away, like I encouraged our players to politely support their team, you mm. know, and give it in between the old, come on, Derby, come on, Derby, come yeah, on, Derbyshire. Yeah. And it's a big part of it, isn't it? Is that support and getting behind it. It made the, the team feel. Yeah, the, yeah. Part of being a team supporting your mates, that's how the bonds are, are growing, aren't they? Yeah, and I, I, you know, I remember so clearly my first, uh, my first match for under-18s at Lancashire. It was at Goslin, which is where I'm originally from. It was Division One. And I was playing number six. I was, I think I was 14 just. And I was playing Lewis Burton, who ended up playing, you know, pretty decent and played one junior women and doubles with my younger brother, George. I remember playing him the first point of the match, hitting ace down the tee. And I just remember the whole team on the crowd going absolutely bananas. And that just started it all off. And, uh, you know, probably not painting a great picture of myself here, but I, then, I mean, this is like 16 years on now, I'm 30 now, but then it was acceptable to, you know, chat a bit, have a bit of needle at change of ends as well with, with the opponent. And it wasn't anything nasty. It was just like, you were so into it. It was unbelievable. It was like nothing ever came close to, to you know, to that feeling of just, you know, feeling like that was everything in tennis because you had, you had, you know, a good number of people on the balcony, which you don't usually have at junior tennis tournaments unless you're playing, you know, junior slams or, you know, bigger junior tournaments, wherever they are domestically. But, you know, this is probably the most people that you're going to play in front of for the next, you know, four or five years as a junior, definitely. You know, there's like 50 people on the balcony and you've got the crowds going, bit they're very busy, um, the teams are shouting and it's just, you know, that atmosphere just got, just really got you going. Yeah. And uh, that was a, yeah, that, those times were great. And we, we won that year. Come on, you got to tell us how the first point went very, very well. How did the rest of those points uh, go? I won, I won the match. I think I won like three and two. Wow. And, uh, and we won, Lancashire won, uh, they won the whole thing. And everyone played. Everyone played like, you know, there was all, all all the players that were were good as juniors and or classed as good as juniors or ranked high. Like everyone played, and um, yeah, it was a great great atmosphere. I mean, what a result as well! What a result against Lewis Burton, and and it sounds as if you know you, by this time you're playing incredible tennis. Did, did you did you continue all the way through at um, at Bolton? You know, was was the dream still to become that full time professional player? Yeah, so I played at Bolton until I was about 15. Um, and then I went to one of the LT academies, which was in Loughborough. Um, my brother was there as well. Um, obviously not too far from you in Derby. That, um, and I was there for a couple of years. Um, and then after, after the first year, I was there. So 15 to 16, uh, which was my final year at school, my GC year, the... The LTA Academy, they actually lost the academy in Nottingham Tennis Centre took it over. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. And so there was a new team of coaches there and I decided to stay on with them. And at that point, it was uh, it was a conversation of, okay, after all GCC, I want to go full-time and give this a real go. If it goes well after the first year, I'm going to keep going. If it doesn't go quite as well as I'd like it to, at this point, I'm thinking I want to probably go down the American college route. Um, so one year goes by, I think it's going pretty well. In my head, it's going quite well. I won a couple junior ITF doubles and, you know, making a couple quarterfinals of singles and, you know, thinking I'm doing okay. And then in about three, four months into my second year of playing, maybe a little bit longer than that, I got a small injury, which stopped me from playing for literally three, four weeks. It was um, like relatively bad impingement, but impingement isn't nothing too major. But at that time, because I wasn't playing much tennis, I didn't just want to stay doing physical down in Loughborough. Because again, at this time, I was living with a family, like a host family or a friend. Um, so I decided to come home. And at that time, I started doing some hitting with some younger players at Bolton 
And then I thought, oh, I'm going to do my coaching, my coaching qualifications. And I did my first one, my level one. And then I, I was like, oh, really enjoyed this. And I just went level one, two, three, all in the same year. I was 18. Um, or no, just before I was 18, I think that was. Uh, so by the time I finished all my qualifications, my first three qualifications, I was 18. Um, and then, yeah, from there, started building up my, my coaching base at Bolton Arena. Started small, doing hitting with some of the, some of the juniors there. And then I uh, was doing like on a Saturday, I'd do nine till 12 uh, or nine till one. Actually, I'd go mini red, mini orange, mini green, and then junior beginner, all, all beginner sessions, junior beginner, full ball sessions, like yellow ball sessions. Um, and then kind of, yeah, just did, you know, recreational tennis at the beginning. And then I had some opportunities to work with some better juniors you know, just, just a quick one, though. Was there a point, Rob, where you thought, I'm not going to be a full-time tennis professional player here? Is that, Or was it just organic? So I, yeah, so, so, at, so at this point, I I'd, I'd discovered a little bit of a social life um, <laughs> and, and, I, and, I was, and I was loving the coaching. Like I was loving yeah. this new side of the sport, which I had never really been a part of. Obviously, I've been coached all my life up to this point but you know I started coaching and doing the hitting and I was on the other side and I was like I'm really really enjoying this yeah and you know I thought to myself well I'm just gonna keep doing it and you know I, I still had a passion for the sport but I just felt like my passion was growing into another area of the sport so I just ran with it um and then I went back and played a couple of British tours you know when I wasn't playing and played county cup and county week and uh all that sort of stuff and you know had some relatively good results and you know domestically it was was in, it was enjoying it but that's that's what it was but yeah so I saw myself now as having a having a career in the sport but as a coach you know you've started as a as a grassroots coach with all the mini red orange the beginners we how did you then progress to the performance area that you're now flying high in yeah, so I've always hit pretty well. I've always played like relatively decent level tennis. So that was always an attraction for better players to, to start with. Was when I was a younger coach was, you know, some coaches would get me on and hit with their players. Um, and then it kind of went from there. I mean, at the age of 19, might have been just 20 at this point, I started coaching a, a couple of lads who were, were pretty pretty handy. One of them was top few in the country another one was pretty good and I took them through ended up taking them through to junior Wimbledon um from the eight they were I started coaching them at 14 15 and then coached them right up to you know gaining a couple of ATP points and junior Wimbledon and during that time as well my brother left the National Tennis Centre where he was training and he wanted to come train with me uh, so I ended up coaching my brother who's only 18 months younger than me so I coached George from, I think he was 18 when he left. Maybe he was 19. So I would have been 20. Uh, I coached him for about three and a half years. And in that time, because obviously George was a very good player and actually still plays very well now, you know, that attracted a couple more players. So then I was coaching another guy called Ashley Hewitt, who also left the National Tennis Centre. His where he lived was in uh, Warrington or Crewe. And so it wasn't too far from Bolton. So, you know, I had some good success with, with George and Ash. And um, at that point I was like, I, I've got a taste for this now. I really want to go to the top. Like I want to, I want to take these guys to the top. If not these guys, I'm going to get there. And um, yeah, always, uh, always had the passion to, to pursue the long-term tennis career at the highest level now, but in coaching. Yeah, it sounds like you, you know, you had that burning passion to get on and to make it happen. Mm. What's the next steps? How did, how did you go to the next level? How did you make that happen? Well, I coached those guys for about three and a half, four years. And then unfortunately they stopped playing. Um, so at that point, because I knew what I, where I felt I wanted to go, which was literally to, to the top of the game, 
Um, there was nothing really keeping me in Bolton at that time. You know, that player-wise, that was it. I, I ran the ATP male squad, if you like. So that was my squad. And then when everyone kind of either stopped playing or, you know, drifted a little bit, it, there was nothing really there. I mean, I was... I was young, I was single, I was ready to move. I, I, was, I was ready to go anywhere. And uh, an opportunity presented itself. I was the hitter down at Wimbledon for, in 2015, uh, I think it was. And then um, ended up meeting, I'd known him a little bit previously, but uh, Dave Samuel, who was the head coach of Bath, offered me a job down in Bath. And I, and I, and I kind of took that because I, I thought to myself, I'm not, I'm not really wanting to stay up north here. Um, this is going to be something different. And it was different, but it was a, it was a bit of a sidestep at that point, um, which I only really found out kind of, you know, a year or so in when, uh, you know, I was working back in an academy and stuff. But I actually felt like there was these, there was these kids that I was working with or young juniors that I was working with that, I loved working with and some of these guys now, well, a good, a good few of these guys now, I still speak to and they're still playing and they're, they're playing some good ball. So I loved working with those guys. And that was a big thing for me was, you know, working with people that I got on with well, but also could see them taking a journey within tennis. And they're all very driven characters, great guys, great girls. Um, and then I got to a point probably about a year and a bit just before I left Bath where I saw that there was a ceiling very quickly for me in academy coaching. I felt like, especially if I was going to stay in the UK, I was either going to have to uh, go for a head coach role or I was going to have to move on and take, and you know, cut my losses and take, take a chance on just being on tour, just be available. And uh, I was employed by Bath University at this time. And Derbyshire's own, Jay Clark. Come on. Uh, his sister, Yaz, I knew pretty well. Uh, she contacted me on Saturday of one week. And uh, she said, like, Jay's, you know, looking for someone to travel with him to, to two challenges in China for just two weeks. Next week, um, do you want to go? Obviously, I'm tied into an employment at Bath University at this point. I'm thinking to myself, this is my chance here. Like, I'm either gonna I'm either gonna go for this and it's gonna go well, and then the rest is history, or I'm gonna go, it's gonna not go very well, and then I'm stuck. But I was willing to take a chance on myself. I always knew that I had to take an opportunity when it came, and I kind of lost my passion in this last year where I was and that's not down to anything to do with the, the place where I was at it was more of you know I've been telling myself for years that I want to get to the top but I can see a ceiling already this is this is not where I want to be so anyway but I remember the, having the key thing there Rob isn't it is you're willing to take a chance on yourself yeah that was it you know, you've got passion. safety you've got security yeah you've probably got a pension starting you've yeah. got all these things that like are safe options mm. yet this opportunity arose with jay um and yaz who's who we've had on the show she's brilliant yeah great great family so and did so what what happened did you, you know did you speak to your line manager and say hey no. i'm going did you book I, I spoke to my brother my young my, i spoke to george who is one of my best friends and uh you know we're extremely close now as well and we always have been close and i said to him look what should I do? And like you say, I had security. I had, you know, I was living a nice life down in Bath, great city, etc. Great work friends. And he just sort of said, look, if this goes well, which he said, look, it probably will. If it goes well, then they're going to more than likely offer you some more weeks. And that's me being completely honest with the conversation. And, you know, I went into to work on the set on the Monday, bearing in mind at this point, so I had two days, I had to pack my flat up in my mini Toyota Yaris, which I had. And I'm quite a big guy. I'm like 6'3 and a bit. So my Toyota Yaris has, has my flat in it. So it's literally I can only place I can see is out front. I'm driving into work on the Monday. 
I've got I've got to have a conversation with the tennis director this morning because I need to go to London after I've dropped my stuff back up from Bolton. I need to go to London, get my Chinese visa, and then get my stuff ready, move out my flat, you know, everything. So I went in and I spoke to him and I just said, look, there's absolutely no right way of doing this, but I'm leaving. And he was like, oh, okay, um, when? And I went, today. And he, yeah, I mean, what didn't go down tremendously well in the moment, but, you know, fair play to him. You know, he saw that it was an opportunity for me and, you know, he was actually very supportive and, you know, Barry, fantastic guy. He's listening. Hello, Barry. Um, <laughs> no, he's ge- genuinely a great guy. Yeah. And uh, I-, I took that move and then, yeah, the, the first but, week... You know, made... That moment, that moment has completely changed your path. Now, my younger brother works in the music industry and he went to work at a, a corporate job with a sort of a big brand. And after the first day he was there, he was like, this isn't for me. I'm leaving. Mm. Mm. And you know, we'd gone through this whole thing. And, and I always felt it was such a brave thing to do. Just like your good self, my little brother's one of my best mates. And and it and it and it signaled the start of a career in the music world, which has just gone in so many exciting directions. And that mm. moment of bravery, it would have been, I mean, it, it must have been really hard for the guys in the short term at Bath, but the bravery to do it that kick-started where you are now. You know, what a brave decision. Well, I feel like those experiences that I spoke about earlier, about when I was 12, going knocking on the door, that sort of thing really helped me in these sort of situations. I mean, for everyone that knows me, I'm a pretty, you know, I pride myself on being a pretty confident person. I don't shy away from confrontation, but I hate upsetting people. And I knew that I was probably going to, you know, ruffle a few feathers with this. So I was actually, you know, I wasn't looking forward to the conversation whatsoever, but I did it. And uh, Jay won that first challenger. It was the biggest challenger of his career. Well, biggest tournament he's won in his career, I think. Um, it was a challenger one, two, five in China. And then literally after that week, they offered me eight, nine more weeks through to the end of the, the US Open that year. Um, and then it was only ever really a temporary thing with Jay because he was going to employ another coach at the, towards the end of the year. Um, and yeah, so... I took that chance. How was that first week, Rob? Because, you know, you managed, I'm guessing you got safely in the Yaris to the London, to London where you managed to get your visa. It must have been all been incredibly hectic. Yeah. How was it? How was that first trip? Was it just everything you wanted it to be? You know, was it like, yes, this is, this is what I'm going to do now? I mean, I was so focused on being, doing a really good job. I didn't really have time to think about anything else apart from doing a number or trying to do my unbelievably best with Jay. And that that's the God's honest truth. I was, I was just so focused on doing a great job because I know I couldn't fail. Like I couldn't, I couldn't get this wrong because I was, you know, I no shame in admitting this. I was dead broke. I had about 300 pounds in my bank account and my, my house was, my, my flat was in a car. Like that's, that's I had no choice. Like this had to go well. And, uh, you know, I poured my heart and soul into it and, you know, Jay had success that trip, you know, did pretty well. And then, you know, ended up, he won his first ever match at Wimbledon, you know, and then he played Federer in the second round that, that year and he lost. And that was a, that was a moment where I was like, okay, doing well here, but I still kind of wanted a bit more because I knew it was only a short term gig with Jay um, and then Heather Watson approached me just after Wimbledon and she offered me a full-time job as her head coach. Um, and then I worked with Heather for, uh, I think it was about four or five months. Did you know Heather, Rob? Yeah, I knew Heather. Yeah, I knew Heather, you know, relatively well, um, as a, on a personal level, relatively well. And obviously I'd seen her about in junior days and, you know, when I'd, when I, whenever I've been at MTC and she'd been there, you know, we'd always used to speak. So I knew Heather relatively well. So she approached me and, and she offered me, um, yeah, to be her, her full-time coach. Um, and then I was with Heather for like five months, I think. And then uh, Joe Rajiv approached me during the time that I was with Heather. And... Uh, they, they, they literally contacted me and asked me 
if I'd be interested in working with them. And it was one of those decisions because obviously I was, I was working with Heather. It was, you know, we weren't in a contract, but I was working with Heather and, you know, things were going pretty well. She'd, she'd won a, she won a title in Vancouver and then she made final with WTA a couple of weeks later, you know, so doing good and, um, you know, getting on well, but it just, it was one of those decisions, which in my gut, it just felt right. Yeah. For these, you know, these guys approached me, which was, you know, it was nice that they approached me. That was a good feeling. And, you know, we spoke a little bit more about it and then I had to, you know, decide what I was going to do. And, you know, it was a decision which was not, not easy, but it was definitely the right thing to do yeah. for me. Um, is, is that, and it brought about another tough conversation, did it? Another tough, another tough conversation, which became a little bit easier this time because I practiced it. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I'm a, I'm a massive believer in knowing what you don't want takes you a step closer to knowing what you do want. So I think a lot of people, you know, they sit there and they procrastinate and they think, oh, I don't really know what I want. That's, that's okay. You know, find out what you don't want. And then, and then you, and then you push that aside and at least, you know, it's not that and you can take a step further forward, you know? So there was, there was this just this attraction to, to working with Joe and Rajiv, which it just felt like I knew what I wanted for the, like, you know, again, I've really got another kind of burning passion desire to go and do well with these guys and start afresh with them. And then now I've been working with them for two years now. Two years, two years. And what are two years, eh? Mm. Yeah, no, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been very successful. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm right in saying you've been coaching five grand slam wins yeah uh we've had yeah i think it's five yeah five i think yeah incredible the you know the journey that and and you're still a young man Mm. yeah i think this is when i was when i was a young when i was a younger coach if you like 18 19 and i was working with some of the better players and i started coaching my brother at 20 etc and Everyone used to say to me, oh, you're still so young. You've got so much to learn. And I, I, I used to hate that. And I remember thinking, <laughs> I, want to be, I want to be 25 right now because everyone is just, they almost, they look at me and they go, oh, you're so young. There's so much you need to, I'm like, it used to, it used to, even though I was just be like, yeah, it used to hurt me inside that. I wanted to be older to the point where I was like, no, I'm doing just fine. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going, I'm doing good. And I, and I felt like I, I was older than I, than I was. And, uh, but now I'm 30. I actually quite like the fact that I've done quite a lot at a young age. Um, so yeah, but, but I think that the biggest thing for me is, you know, that the moments of my successes that have been part of my timeline, my tennis journey, you know, I look back on them and at the time, the success of whatever it is, whether it's Jay winning a challenger, Heather making a final WTA, winning a title, all the five grand slams and the master's title that I've won with Joe and Rajiv, you know, the title is great and it, and it means the world, but, you know, having this type of conversation with you and other people, when they talk to me, the journey is way better. You know, the journey of getting to that stage is way more exciting than, than actually it's quite a short lived moment of success. So, you know, we won, we won Toronto this year in the first tournament of the, the US hardcore swing. And that, that, to me, that to me felt bigger than the Australian Open win that we won at the, in 2020 because we beat Mexic Pavic in the final, who have been mostly unbeatable this year. They won the Olympics, they won Wimbledon, they'd won like nine titles this year, something ridiculous. So that that win in the final was was huge because there was you could see the journey like it, it was happening. Those these two years you'd lived that journey of playing against someone like a team like that and then winning and performing and we'd lost them four times this year already, and then we beat them the fifth time, and uh, that felt great because you could really you know that that success felt big and it felt amazing because you could really see the journey, but. The US Open, obviously, tremendous title for Joe and Rajiv, and Joe obviously winning the mixed doubles as well the same week. 
that was the same feeling, but a lot shorter. Like the feeling of success didn't quite feel as, as you know, as big as what that Toronto felt like, for instance, because there was, you know, the journey going into that slam final wasn't quite as epic, as you like, as, as the other journeys that I've had. Amazing. And I mean, in terms of what you're bringing, the things that you bring to that role with Rajiv and with Joe, mm. technical, tactical, motivational. What are the main things? I mean, ha- it's all these things, is it? But it's, mm. what are the main things that you feel that as a coach you're incredibly good at to be taking, helping these guys to the level they've got to? Well, I think the first thing that, you know, the listeners need to know is that you're working with unbelievable tennis players. So it's a totally different side of the sport to what I've been involved in for the rest of my coaching career. You know, you tell these guys something, they can do it just like that. Like you don't have to go around and show them how to swing, swing the racket and hit the ball. So you're working with extremely capable athletes. So that that's the first thing that, you know, is probably the most eye-opening thing when you start working at the highest level is they can do anything. So you then have to hone your skills into slightly different things, the coaching subtleties of how you help manage an individual and their emotions, their feelings, how you, you, you're very conscious of how you phrase things, you know? So the biggest thing that I would say, which has definitely made the difference to us as a team is, our team chemistry is, I don't really know if this sounds a little bit too big headed, but it is a joke. Like the, the team chemistry is unbelievable. And that's because I've always brought to the, to the table in any coaching relationship, you have to be open. You have to be honest. You know, like I was speaking to you before, Rob, you know, that the honesty and the, the authenticness of something is extremely important because you've got to be willing to, to get better as a person or as a team. So making sure that the, the team chemistry is totally open. So, you know, sung that tune early on and, you know, along the way, you know, we've had some difficult conversations and, and if any coach working on tour tells you they haven't had a difficult conversation with a the player, they're lying to you. And that's both from me to them and from them to me. And you have to be open you have to welcome those conversations because if you welcome those conversations as difficult as they might be, you've got to park your pride, park your ego for the time being. And, you know, you've got to have the best interest of the team. It's not for you. It's for the team or for the player, whoever it is. And we've had some of those conversations along the two years. And because we haven't shied away from them, we've built an unbelievably strong relationship so our communication skills are phenomenal. You know, we, we communicate pre-match, post-match, you know, extremely well about how we're going to go about things. On the training court, we're very open. Off the training court, we're having, you know, small conversations which actually end up going a little bit deeper. We're extremely open with those. You know, we, we're honest with each other and what we feel like someone could add or someone could pull their weight a little bit more. Someone's doing really well. Like, we're very good at being unbelievable communicators and you know I think as part of a team you have to be if you want to be the best you have to be fantastic and better at communicating and that's something we've got unbelievable at this the team chemistry and you know I can't relate to it at the highest levels of 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 tennis but and uh in, in the corporate world, you don't win Grand Slams and things, but in one of my most recent roles before going full-time in tennis, I was a member of a Carling, the Carling brand team. And the team chemistry that was in that Carling team of the relationships that you would do anything for your colleagues, it wasn't hierarchical. You know, it, it was about the fact that I got to know the other members of that team so well that right now, if one of them said jump for them, I'd jump mm-hmm. for them, I'd do anything for them. And it came down to relationships and chemistry and and just just striving for the same things and being there for each other. And, and I guess, you know, I've always looked at that as a real high-performing team. And actually, there's a lot of similarities there from what you're saying, isn't it? The chemistry yeah. between the people is, is all important, it sounds like, within this 
very high performance area that you're now in. Yeah, I mean, but the chemistry wasn't always there. I mean, I'd, I'd always known Joe, but I hadn't seen Joe for years going into this, going into this coaching relationship. And I'd never, and I'd met Rajiv once when I was working with Jay and we were at Queen's. That was the only time. So you have to build that. Yeah. So you have to put your cards on the table very early. You know, one of the, I remember one of the first things that I said to the guys in our trial period, which is Australia, was I put my, my hand down and I was like, look, if there's anything that you want to say, say it. You know, if you want to give me feedback on something, if you want me to do a little bit of this, you know, because I'm going to ask you the same. You know, we have to be, there has to be total clarity here. Are you, are you comfortable with that? You know, and, you know, you have a moment of pause and, and it's like, yeah, I'm not great. Well, then let's do it. And you, you have to sometimes remind them of that, of, you know, we've got, if there's something that's, that's on your mind, whether someone's doing amazing, we need to say it, or someone needs to get a little bit better, we've got to say it. You know, are you comfortable sharing that? Yeah. Okay, well, let's, let's go. You know, don't hide away from, from those little conversations that, that will make that 1% difference further down the line. We never have, and it's been something which has stood us in, in good stead. The bravery, it comes back to that bravery. So, you know, that, that young lad knocking yeah. on that door of the Bolton players, the bravery card, it sounds like the bravery card is one which is very has played a really important role in your yeah. whole career. Yeah, and I guess that's, that's, I guess one of my coaching philosophies is, as a coach, for me anyway, at working at the level that I'm working at now and I feel privileged to work there. And, you know, I'm, I'm always looking to get better. I'm always looking to improve just like I would be doing if I was a player, you know, as a player, you're willing to take constructive criticism. Well, most players are, you're, you know, you're, you're willing to go and see someone to get better physically. You know, you go to the gym, you surround yourself with the people that, that are positive and you, talk to people that push you outside your comfort zone a little bit and challenge you. And as a coach, I'm a massive believer in you've got to build your own team. And for me, I've got my own team. Like I have someone that I go and speak to who's a mentor of mine. And I'm going to give him a shout out because he's an unbelievable guy and he's helped me massively. It's Richard D'Souza. He's worked uh, as a sports psychologist and with a number of players in the past and Johnny Marry being one of them just before he won uh, Wimbledon. Um, so I've been working with Richard for seven years, eight years now, maybe a little bit longer. So I look to him and I see him as one of my mentors and, uh, you know, I go to the gym, I regularly change up my, my gym schedule. Like I work hard in the gym, you know, I stretch daily and, you know, I push myself physically and, you know, I try and play, still try and play a little bit to, to keep my hand in and play decent. And then I see someone like, um, you know, like Louis Kaya, who I speak to a lot. Um, about the double side of things. I look to him for certain stuff, you know, and he's very good with me. And then I have my emotional support, my, 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 my foundation of kind of my life. It's my partner, my girlfriend and, you know, my family and all that sort of stuff. So that's my team. And as a player, you have that team and you have the bravery to confront these things and get better and improve. And as a coach, I don't see why it should be any different. As soon as you start thinking that you're the finished article, I think it's a recipe for disaster. And because sport is forever evolving and you've got to move with it. And if you don't move with it, you will get found out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so true. I think Matthew Zayed covers this actually in, in some of his books around how when players you know, get signed on at a Premier League club or whatever and they think they've made it, the mm. moment they think they've made it mm. and the motivation comes down is the moment they haven't, the moment they start going backwards. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's one thing that we all do very well in my team as well. With Joe and Rajiv is we hold each other accountable to that sort of stuff, you know, and I guess in that sense, I guess they're part of my team in that sense, you know, that, you know, that, you know, everyone is, everyone is there to, to give each other the best chance of being their, their best self. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I think back to my world, the corporate world, and always came down to objectives, what, what we're looking to achieve, that they, they, you know, they develop, they, they, they change over time. But do you feel like as a team that you guys have objectives 
have you set yourself goals for what you want to achieve next? Yeah, so I mean, we've obviously achieved a hell of a lot this year. Yeah. So it's, I think at times you look back and you're like, oh, year's been great. Like we could probably just settle now. But we're also second in the race, in the ATP race doubles. Um, the chances of us making one are slim because there's a relatively big difference between us and Mektic Pavic, number one. But I think we all share the same vision of there's three more tournaments left of the year. We've got Vienna, which I'm going to tomorrow, ATP 500. And then we've got Paris Masters, which is the last Masters series of the year. And then we've got Turin, the World Tour Finals in Italy. So it's the first time it's there. It's moved from the O2. In our mind, I know for sure that we're aiming for at least one title. Come on. Come on. Come on. Well, good luck with that team. We'll be following you very closely. Um, you know, you said when you first went away with Jay, you didn't have time to... To You were just so focused on doing the very best you could. Mm. So driven to do so. And I'm guessing you didn't really think about anything else. You, you go into these places now. Do you have time a little bit to relax and enjoy and get to see some sights? Do you enjoy the travel side of things? Yeah, I do love I do love the, the travel side of things, and you do get some time to go and see some places. But you know, there's a lot of a lot of time managing throughout the day certain things, which I think people think doesn't take much time, but it does. So if you're, any, you're doing any video analysis, you sat in your hotel room you're putting to clipping a video to make a one minute video that might take you an hour and a half to do that. You know, that, so that takes up some time, you know, you go and scout players, you go and watch another, your potential opponents. Once you've won, um, you watch them, you, you make some notes on them, you know, you do stuff for the, for, for the players. You go to the gym with the players. If they need you, if they want you there, which is, you know, common that they do. Um, so you're with them and, you know, you, you try and find some time to relax, which is, I think when you're, when you're at the, the, the higher level tournament, you do get a bit more time to relax because everything's run a little bit better, um, a little bit more on schedule, even though it does pose its challenges at times, but uh, sometimes it's out of your control. But yeah, I mean, if we do get some time to, to go and see some stuff, then uh, yeah, I will, I will try to, but I, I tend to always be in like work mode. So mm-hmm. I'm not gonna go and spend a day and a, a day like hiking somewhere. I'd, I'd struggle to do that because I feel like I wouldn't be doing much. It's all consuming, isn't it? It's all consuming, yeah. and that's why you're doing so well. Is because you're giving everything to it. Yeah, could be, could be one. Well, yeah. So I mean, you've already had incredible adventures, incredible adventures. What's the, what's your hopes and dreams moving forward? question um i'm gonna take each day as it comes i think i guess my my ultimate goal in the sport is to have had enough experiences in the sport at all levels to be able to help almost like the the younger coaches or the younger players or the next generation or even the generation after that be the best of themselves. And, you know, as you said, Keith Reynolds was on the show, you know, previously I I spent some time with Keith back in the day as well. And, you know, he's absolutely right when he says that, you know, these life skills that you can get from the sport are going to separate you from a lot of people. And I think that's something which, you know, again, going back to that, story when I was younger that life skill of plucking up the courage to go knock on the door or starting a new school where everyone thought you were from somewhere else and you know all those bravery things which you have you have to overcome and you have to do you can you can see that a mile off when someone else is going through it and you can see it so quickly and so easily because you've been there and you've done it and you and you and you come you come out the other side so um I guess yeah my dream is to to be able to help whoever wants it in the sport or outside of the sport, shed some of my knowledge of what I've gained through my experiences uh, in the sports, try and help them in whatever they want to do. Come on, you've done pretty well for a young Aussie. (laughs) (laughs) Right, you've come a long way. Yeah, I mean, it's brilliant to hear that, you know, you 
you, you want to be, be helping the younger coaches as well. What, what words of wisdom would you have for any young coaches who are out there who are, who are doing the day-to-day but have dreams of getting onto the circuit? What, what I, what's your guidance for them? Don't give up. Like, it's really hard to mess up if you don't give up, period. Like, that's fact. You know, it, before, I was, before I got to working with, you know, world-class professional tennis players, I was, how old was I then? 28 just. And I've been coaching 11 years at that point. You know, and I always had it in my mind that I wanted to be working with, you know, the best players or some of the best players. And, you know, in fact, I was 27, so maybe 10 years. Just keep going. Like, don't don't take no for an answer. Be thick skinned. Be willing to be willing to, to take on the haters that might try and talk you down from your aspirations, which I've had many in the past. You know, you've got to be your own biggest supporter. It's absolutely crucial. You have to have that inner confidence and tell yourself that you're doing great things and, you know, you should shoot for the moon because even if you don't quite make the moon, you're going to get further than what you wouldn't have done, what you would have done anyway. So that's the first thing. And I think second thing is build your team. You know, find people that you can confine in both on a personal and on a business level. You know, I, I'm wanting people to reach out to me now because I feel like I can offer them so much. You know, find someone that is going to help push you, have your best interest. You know, and that could be one person. It could be two people. In my case, it's like three or four different things that I cherry pick from. But find those people, identify them and stick to working with them with your best interest at heart and just keep going. Amazing. I must, I don't know if you're, if you're on Facebook, but there's a, a group called the Tennis Coaches Support Network. And I found it incredibly useful just to ask questions, you know, as a, as a day-to-day club coach, little questions that, that, that people have, have, have helped me on. Um, I must send you a link over to it because I'm sure there'll yeah. be people on there who would just love to be mm-hmm. asking a question here and there. Yeah, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, so anyone can add me if they want to chat, I'm, I'm, I'm there. Brilliant. I'll put the links in as well on on your Insta as well. Fantastic. And I think bravery. I think if anything I've taken from this, it's be brave. If you're brave, you can make things happen and you make decisions that, you you know, if you're not a hundred percent happy in something, be brave and make decisions and make things happen. For sure. That's yeah, that's definitely mine. Come on, I must come back to your tennis playing for a moment because we do have a lot of listeners in Derbyshire. This very much started as, as wanting to speak to the Derbyshire tennis people and my podcast has spread, but Derbyshire tennis still means a lot to us. And perhaps as a men's team, our most exciting and uh, achievement was winning the, the county LTA count summer County cup in, in uh, 2015. And I believe on the, the first day we played Lancashire and that featured a player who called Rob Morgan. Is that right? Yeah. I remember we going into that tie I remember thinking, right, well, I didn't actually say this, but we said it as a team. Derbyshire have just come up. Like, on paper, they're not that great. Like, we, we'll, we'll get through this first one. We'll, we'll sneak this first one, and we're, we're looking good. And then on in. I can't remember who we would have had to play the second day, but I don't think it was a stronger team as what we had on paper. Um, so we're backing ourselves going to this Derbyshire tie. Anyway, we got absolutely owned. And uh, I remember coming up against these two people who one of them I'd never seen before, it was Chris Archer. And just remember thinking, I can't ever avoid this net player. How annoying is it? He's just so close to the net. Like everything was, he was just on the net poaching all the time. You know, he was, he was just annoyingly good. And uh, I can't remember who his partner was. It could have been one of the Rushby brothers, but. James Rushby. Yeah, another yeah, good player. So I knew James, you know, very good player. I didn't really know Chris going to that into that tie, um, but yeah, we got absolutely owned by uh, by Derbyshire, and they went on to win it that year. So too good. Come on, come on, <laughs> yeah, Chris Chris Archer be my brother-in-law, and yeah, I was thought I was all right at volume, but my oh my, he could dominate the net, can't he? And and from a just from a, a county, you know, we're coming up to Winter County Cup pretty soon. How important has 
do you think you know county cup is to to tennis in in the UK? I think it's very important from a from an aspect of domestic level tennis, which I think can often be overlooked. We've got a lot of good tennis players that might not be on the tour or whatever. There's a lot of good, genuine tennis players out there who, you know, some of them might even have a nine to five job. Some of them might just be coaches. Some of them, you know, haven't picked up a racket in two two years maybe, or they pick it up once a year to come and play these events and they can still play some good ball. It's great for, definitely great for younger juniors to go and play coming up against a 30-year-old, a 40-year-old who, does some different stuff which they might not come up against, you know, on a day-to-day basis. It's great for that. Uh, it's great to learn to compete, not just for yourself, but for a team. Um, and it's unbelievable to represent your county. I think it's it's quite a big deal in my mind to, to, to represent your county. It's quite a big thing. If you think about it, your county is a big place and you've been selected to, to represent them versus the other big counties throughout the country. It's, it, should be made more of a big deal than what it is right now. I think in the past it has been bigger. Um, I think at the moment it's definitely not where it could and should be in terms of how people see it. Mm. I think people tend to try and bypass this step of, of the tennis of the tennis world domestically and they really shouldn't. It's so important and it's such a good message and I'm so fired up to really get people to get behind county tennis and and to realise what an amazing thing it is, as you say, to play for your county. I mean, I've seen Joe Salisbury play County Week lots of times and and that must have helped with his development as a doubles player. Probably, yeah. I mean, playing 15 matches in a week, 15 doubles matches in a week, I mean, you're never going to do that anywhere else. And you're coming up against you get you coming up against good players as well down the other end, you know different game styles. It's it's a challenge, and anything that's a challenge in my mind is probably going to make you better if you approach it right. Cool man. Now a question we we've asked a lot of our guests, which would be it'd be interesting to hear your opinion on from from your perspective of being on tour. If you could see one initiative or innovation introduced into world tennis, what would it be? Ooh, good question. Um, I'm a massive boxing fan. And one thing I like about boxing is that they have the press conference, press conferences. So prior to maybe a slam final, could they have a dual press conference between the two opponents? How would that go down? I'm just because I'm a big boxing fan, I mean, it might not work for the sport, but it's just yeah, something that pops into my head just then. I quite like that the press conference side of things of boxing is quite funny. You know, you get to see certain sides of people and some people come in completely focused on the fight. Other people try and entertain and do things like how would that dynamic work? That could be quite interesting, especially on uh, in the slam finals. I love that idea. That's a brilliant idea. You know, the, Again, into the corporate world, they talk about related worlds, looking into different worlds and seeing what you can learn from them to bring into your own world. And mm. wow, what that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Seeing the different personalities play out. I would love that. What yeah. a great idea. Come on. And finally, finally, a question we've asked everybody, but if you could go for a drink with anybody, alive or dead, who would it be and why? My idol... In tennis has always been Federer, so it'd be easy to say him. But as I said, I am a massive boxing fan. I love the the gladiatorial side of it. I love the the, the psychological warfare side of it. I, you know, the whole sport. I just respect the sport massively. <clears throat> um, and I'm going to go current. I'm going to go alive and. Not many people are giving this guy too much great press at the moment, but I do like him. I, I would I would go for a drink with uh, Anthony Joshua. I think he, as a sportsman, he sets an unbelievable example. Whether people think it's a total front or not, to me, it doesn't matter. What he is doing for the sport and what he has done for the sport is unbelievable. You know, Tyson Fury would be a close second, probably. Great entertainer, you know, man of the people. But I've always liked AJ. Um, I think it'd be really interesting to pick his brains and kind of his journey into 
where he started to where he is now because that's been quite a quick transition I think he started boxing at like 18 he's I think he's a year older than me now two years older than me so he's, you know he's done uh he's done a lot of massive things in a very short period of time so I think that would be that would probably be my my choice totally come on and I think it's uh it's interesting that word gladiatorial isn't it because if mm. if there's anything that defines a a tennis match on that singles court when you're that that 10 11 year old starting out it is gladiatorial isn't it the mm. world of tennis is gladiatorial there's proper parallels between those two sports mm. yeah especially when you're playing singles it's 1v1 there's a lot of mental warfare in there just like there is in doubles it's a mental boxing match i see dot tennis as yeah too right come on well i'm sure aj would be a good person to be having a drink with and i must say it's been fascinating to chat it's been brilliant to hear about your journey the chapters so far the bravery that's that's really played a part in all of it and can't wait to see what chapters come next so uh so thank you very much indeed for your time thanks a lot rob cheers